All right, so I'm going to invite you to do something uh, with me this morning. Um, uh, don't worry, it's not going to be weird or anything, but it is, it's a little different. So I want you to close your eyes, and now you're going, no, I'm not doing that. So just close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to, just, I want to invite you to notice a couple of things with me. <clears throat> with your eyes closed, I want you to notice uh, that you're breathing. Notice it. You're in, out, in, out. And then uh, put your hand on your chest or on your neck and feel that, the rhythm of your heartbeat, right? It's beating. Now open your eyes. There are rhythms that are built into us, that are literally wired into us. Beyond just our breathing and our heartbeat, there are other rhythms that are wired into us, sleeping, eating, um, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, we are wired with certain rhythms in our lives. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of our DNA. But our rhythms can be impeded. We cannot get enough sleep. We can skip meals. We can intake too much caffeine in our heart rates races. Maybe some of you are experiencing that, that right now. Uh, when our rhythms get off, it causes trouble. Uh, we could call what impedes the rhythms of our lives, bigger rhythms than just our physical rhythms, I'm going to call them this morning noise, because there's a lot of noise around us that impedes our rhythms, even physical noise. I did some research this week about physical noise in our always-on 24-7 culture. I mean, we live in a, an unprecedented era. Uh, at night, if I can't go to sleep, you know, it's easy. I can just reach over on my nightstand and pull out my iPad, and then there's like a world of noise that I can just tap into right there, right? Uh, apparently, too much noise physiologically can create high blood pressure, respiratory issues, muscular disorders, sleep disorders, uh, and has been linked to... Um, uh, uh, sleep problems and workplace accidents even. It's too much noise, workplace accidents, absenteeism at work. It stimulates aggression. Too much noise can literally elevate your heart rate. So the noise of life can literally change the rhythm of your physicality. Dr. Meyer Friedman is a cardiologist who spent uh, much of his time researching what we now call the type A personality. He was the guy who invented the term, the type A personality. And his research started in a really interesting, unusual way. Uh, a furniture repair person came into his office to do some work, and when he was replacing the upholstery on the furniture, he commented on something. He said, it's really interesting in your office. He said, um, uh, the backs of the chairs are pristine, and even the backs of the seats of the chairs are pristine, but the problem is everything is frayed on the front edge of the seats. So they had to replace all the chairs, and what the doctor realizes is patients were literally living on the edge of their seats. It was killing them. It was destroying their hearts, literally. So he decided to do some research about this and figure out what was going on, and what he ended up with was this picture of what we call the type A personality. Now, in our day, the type A personality has become celebrated and applauded, right? The kind of person that we wouldn't, like, want to admit it, but we aspire to being like that, right? We want to be, like, always busy, always things, things happening. And slowing down uh, seems sort of counterproductive or maybe even irresponsible to some of us. Uh, we have a mission in life. We have to accomplish the mission. I mean, we genuinely believe that going faster to keep up with everything else in the world is a wise and prudent thing to do. Juliette Shores, another researcher, wrote a book called The Overworked American. 
which has actually recently provoked enormous discussion about the role of work in our culture. It's worth looking at, the overworked American. One of her thesis statements in the book is that over the last 20 years or so, the average United States worker has added a number of hours equivalent to one entire month of their work year. So we're, we're working more than we ever have. USA Today did a survey that found that if everyone did everything all the experts say we are supposed to be doing, uh, between our jobs, taking care of our families, caring for our physical, emotional, spiritual health, it would only take 42 hours per day to do everything that we're supposed to do. National Christian Publication recently did a survey that said the number one obstacle for people with regard to spiritual growth is we're too busy. So we all know that this is a problem, right? The difficulty in uh, comes in finding anything we can actually do at a practical level to change it. Because we all live here, like in the real world, not some fantasy world where we can just drop 20 hours out of our work week or tell our kids they don't get to play on the t-ball team because we don't have the time or where we can simply go to bed at night whether our work for the next day is done or not. We don't live in that world. So what do we do? Well, my contention this morning is that in, we're frustrated because we're trying to change the wrong things. We're trying to manage our activities when the real answer is changing our overall rhythms. And friends, that is what this entire summer has been about. Changing our rhythms. From our small groups where we're changing the rhythm because we're getting to gather together to even the, 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 the dinners that we had together where we're just kind of hanging out for refreshment, but it's changing the rhythms all the way to the 60-60 experiment. If you haven't been around, the 60-60 experiment is the thing where we have uh, little watches or phones that beep every hour on the hour, and at the top of the hour, you stop and you pray for 60 seconds. And the whole idea of it is changing your rhythm, creating space to be with God. Like all spiritual disciplines, the 60-60 experiment is a way to place ourselves in a position for God to grow us. We don't grow ourselves, but through our spiritual habits, we can place ourselves in a place where God can do his work in us. And that's what this is about, just like all spiritual habits. Because in particular with this, when we change our rhythm, God changes our souls. When we change our rhythm, God changes our souls. So... I was trying to think of a good way to wrap up this whole thing, the 60-60 experiment, our whole summer of shifting our rhythms. And what hit me was that maybe we could graduate from the 60-60 experiment to implementing another practice on an ongoing basis that I believe is actually key to all of our rhythms. It's a habit that is one of the oldest commanded in the life of a God follower. It's a habit that is simple. It's a habit that's actually enjoyable, and yet somehow we still push away from it and it's a habit that I can personally testify is absolutely transformative, it will change your life in a dramatic way. So as we close out our 60-60 experiment, I want to recommend that you continue to shift the rhythms of your life in an ongoing way on a weekly basis by practicing the habit we're going to talk about this morning, Sabbath. The most long-lasting experience of rhythm that we have. So today we're going to look at this profoundly countercultural practice as an antidote to the culture in which we live, but also as the natural progression out of our 60-60 experience. This is a very strange commandment, actually, in some ways. Uh, we have to be told to do this. It's really strange that we have to be told to rest, but it, we do. 
This is the fourth of the Ten Commandments. And we have to be told and commanded because Sabbath is not just about time off. It's actually about retaking our time. It's about taking time in God's name, right, which is the first of the commandments. It's about changing the rhythm of our lives so we don't make idols of ourselves, which is the second commandment, or God's out of our success, which is the third commandment. And so you see where this one comes in at number four. So this fourth commandment reminds us that God's commands are not just about morality, but they involve the way things are. Because when we violate the rhythms that God has woven into all of creation, our activities, our priorities, all of those things begin to manage us instead of the other way around. So let's talk a little bit about Sabbath. What is Sabbath? The word literally means to cease, to stop doing work specifically. And its priority goes back to the very beginning. God himself Sabbathed in Genesis chapter 2. Listen to the first three verses of that chapter from the New Living New Testament. It says, So the creation of heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. So first of all, when we Sabbath, we're acting like God. That's a strange thing. So next time, you know, I'm taking a nap and Dee says, what are you doing? I'm going to go, I'm acting like God. Anyway, so um, (laughs) Sabbath is acting like God, which is likely why we are commanded to do it. Because, you know, we're to be imitators of God. Uh, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11 says this, and this is what's on your electronic programs. If you want to follow along these verses, this is from the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Here's what it says. This is the first time it shows up in the scriptures. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It's important we're going to talk about what that means. Six days you will labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. So it's a purpose in it. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner living or residing in your towns. It's almost like the way God describes it here, borders on the comedic. He's listing every possible thing that could be. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So here's a really interesting fact about this passage. This one commandment and its explanation makes up about one-third of the text of the entire Ten Commandments. That's a strange thing if you think about it, right? One-third of the text goes to this one commandment that we really hardly pay attention to. Obviously, this is very important to God. It's a pathway to something. It's a rhythm that's wired into us. It's designed to be a blessing to us to fulfill a need that literally is a part of who we are, from the way we breathe to the way our heart beats. I read an article this week that reminded me just how real this need is in us. Uh, It was about a woman whose name is Maria Brunner. It's a real real thing that happened. According to this article, Maria is tired. She says she's tired of what she calls her quote-unquote lazy husband and her quote-unquote demanding children. Uh, Her husband is unemployed, so she supports their three children and him by cleaning people's houses. And even though her husband is unemployed, somehow he's managed to run up a few unpaid parking tickets here in Santa Monica. We know what that's like. But his bill, you ready? $5,000. That's how many unpaid parking tickets he's run up. Now, the problem is she is the sort of owner of record for the vehicle, so they came after her 
And unless she comes up with $5,000, she will spend three months behind bars. But here's the thing. She doesn't plan to come up with the money. Here's what she said. I've had enough of scraping a living for the family. As long as I get food and a hot shower every day, I really don't mind being sent to jail. I can finally get some rest and relaxation. The police said that when they went to arrest Maria, quote, she seemed really happy to see us. She repeatedly thanked us for arresting her. The article stated that while most people had taken into custody cover their heads in shame, Maria smiled and waved as she was driven off to jail. Now that's somebody who needs some rest, right? I mean, when we get to the point where jail time seems to be a good alternative to our normal lives, something is off kilter. And that something is, again, this rhythm that has been wired into us in order to create a sustainable lifestyle. Individually, corporately, even cosmically. We're going to get to that in a minute. So how do we do this then? How do we regain that rhythm? How do we Sabbath? How do we keep the Sabbath? Here, there are three keys I want to talk about. First, the most basic level of Sabbath, Sabbath keeping is a commitment to rest. We must ruthlessly schedule out in our calendars a time for rest. We simply block out one day in our schedule where we will take a time out from our routine. I like the way Marva Dawn, who wrote a book about Sabbath, describes it, using the literal meaning of the word Sabbath to cease. She says there are times when we just need to stop. She says this includes ceasing our regular work, ceasing productivity, ceasing anxiety, ceasing worry, ceasing tension, ceasing our trying to be like God, ceasing our possessiveness, ceasing our enculturation, ceasing the humdrum, ceasing the meaningless. She goes on to say that in our American culture, in which every person is judged by his or her work... And rest is determined by our labors. We desperately need this radical reorientation. And I like to say, Sabbath is a day when we say, enough. Enough. And in saying enough, we make a profound statement. It's actually a statement of trust. Resting is about trusting that God will take our appropriate amount of work and he will supply our needs. Ultimately, it's about believing that God is enough. In the Gospel of Mark, we read, then, this is about Jesus and his disciples, then, because so many people were coming and going to them that they did not even have a chance to eat. Have you ever had that experience, right? Jesus said to them, well done, good and faithful servants. You haven't even had time to eat. What's next? No, that's not what he said. What he actually said was, hey, what are you guys doing? Get up off your butts. We don't have time to stop. No, didn't say that either. What he actually said was, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. He invited them into a rhythm. And that is the rhythm that Jesus calls us to. One writer says this, rest and you'll discover an amazing thing. There's a really good chance that even if you don't do any work all day on the Sabbath day, the sun will come up again the next morning because it isn't your world. We read in the commandment that the Sabbath is holy, which literally means set apart for God. So it's a day when our regular work is done, whether it is or not. 
It's a day that we dedicate not to producing what we have to produce in our jobs, but to the refreshment that comes from engaging with God and the family of God. Tied into the Sabbath in the Old Testament, we will see, is gathering together with the people of God. And when you gather together with the people of God, of course, there are tasks to be done, especially in the context of a church plant. But we do them precisely because they do not produce anything for ourselves. But instead, they place us in a mode of rhythm that intentionally shifts our thinking towards what is most important in life. Sabbathing together needs to be a weekly discipline. Now, here's what I've learned from living in Los Angeles. I've been uh, in touch, uh, spoken to pastors sort of across the city who have done studies in much larger churches than ours. And over and over again, everyone's records sort of bear out the same thing. Here's what they tell us. The average person who considers themselves connected into a church in Los Angeles here attends church about once or maybe twice a month. Now, again, I have no desire to police your church attendance, and I'm delighted whenever I see people. But listen to what the scriptures say about this need that we have for a weekly rhythm of gathering together. And that leads us to another important way that we Sabbath. In addition to rest, resting from our work, we Sabbath together by remembering or reflecting. Now again, all the way back in the creation account, God does this. It's interesting. After each day of creation, he takes a little mini Sabbath and reflects on what he has done. Each day he stops and he looks around and he says, the work I have done is good. Right? If you go through the creation account, every time it stops, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good. And if you look back beyond that, or ahead of that, he commands the children of Israel to do the same thing as a part of their Sabbath. After they've been rescued from slavery in Egypt, Moses gathers them together. And it's interesting, he reiterates the Ten Commandments. They're given a second time. So they're given, first of all, in Exodus. They're given a second time here in Leviticus or Deuteronomy, rather. Here's what it says, commandment number four in Deuteronomy when he reiterates it to the people. It says, no working on the Sabbath, keep it holy, just as God, your God, commanded you. Work six days, do everything you have to do, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a rest day. No work, not you, your son, your daughter, your servant, your maid, your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, and do not forget, even the foreigner visiting in your town, that way your servant and your maids will get the same rest as you. Don't ever forget, and see, this is the remembering part, Part of it. Don't ever forget that you were slaves in Egypt and God, your God, brought you out with a powerful show of strength. That's why God, your God, commands you to observe the Sabbath day of rest. So connecting into the rest is remembering. They're, they're bound together. And this adds a dimension to what we've already learned. Sabbath is not just about stopping everything. It's about ceasing our routine for the purpose of remembering what God has done. And, of course, following the pattern here of the Old Testament and the New Testament, we do that by gathering together, right? Making worship a key part of our Sabbath is a habit that has proven its value over thousands of years. When we gather, we remember what God has done in our lives and in the lives of the family of people around us. As we sing and we pray and we listen to each other, we help each other remember all that God is doing. Now, this also happens for us in our small groups, which we've just begun to launch, right? We get together, we get to hear much more of each other's stories. Here's a picture of the group that I'm a part of a couple of weeks ago. We met uh, at the little condo, which was really interesting because we met right looking over the lake where Tarzan used to be filmed. That's a whole different story. But anyway, that was quite interesting. But here's what happens when you get together with a group. Over time, 
You begin to tell each other's stories. You begin to know each other's stories. You begin to encourage one another. You begin to remember what God has done in your life. And when someone else, maybe God's not doing anything in your life, and when you hear from someone else what God's doing in their life, you go, oh, okay. And it draws you into the story, and it helps you to remember what God does for you. So we take time out to celebrate the relationships with each other that the body of Christ enables. We take time out for worship. And all of these things are countercultural moves. As a matter of fact, our absence from other things, when we do these things, makes a statement to the people around us. Our rhythm of Sabbath creates space in our lives to remember And then resting and remembering what happens as a result of that is we begin to realign our priorities. It begins to happen naturally. So that choosing what activities we will engage in and what activities we won't engage in and creating a rhythm of life that is sustainable begins to become a natural part of our experience of walking with God. All right, so there's one more. Rest and reflection then finally lead to what I call recreation. Not just recreation, but recreation. And here's where it gets interesting, because this, not, uh, this works not just for us, but for all of creation. Leviticus chapter 25. Again, God is speaking to Moses in Leviticus. The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years, sow your fields, and for six years, prune your vineyards and gather the crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a Sabbath of rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards in the seventh year. It's kind of agriculture 101. God says, have a relationship with the soil in which you do not exploit it for more than which it can produce. And then that leads to recreation in the soil itself. In our day, we call it sustainability. So God was all about sustainability way back then. Now, then you transfer that idea, though, from the land to our lives, and you think about the progression here. When we rest, it provides space to remember, which in turn provides a reorientation that causes us not to exploit ourselves for more than we can produce. And that enables us to continue in our mission. To literally recreate in a healthy way. So there's this natural rhythm built not just into us, but into all of creation that calls us to obey this command to Sabbath. And here's what I find. When I Sabbath correctly, it affects all the other rhythms of my life. I set my priorities differently when I'm well-rested, and when I've taken time out to reflect and remember. So my daily activities become less frenetic and more effective. My connection to God is restored so that I deal much better with unexpected things that make me have to be flexible in my schedule or my priorities during the week. Sabbathing encourages me to make sure that I'm creating a rhythm of taking time out each day to spend with God. Overall, I find myself much more in touch with God and His purposes for me and less likely to be pulled by the noise of the culture around me because it's establishing a rhythm. And again, the whole 60-60 thing was a little piece of a rhythm. Now, I don't know if you had this experience, but as I was doing it, um, (laughs) a couple things happened. One, uh, 
uh, at first, I was very excited about doing it. And then after a few days, what happened was the, the watch would beep, and I would think, well, I don't have time for that. And then I would catch myself thinking, it's one minute, <laughs> 60 seconds. It begins to create a rhythm. So in terms of all of this, I, I read a great story this week, sort of a parable. It comes in the form of a t-ball game that the writer of this parable experienced. He's explaining, uh, he begins by explaining the rules of t-ball, uh, which is a quite relaxed form of little league if you haven't experienced it. There's not even a pitcher, the ball is hit off of a tee, right? And in his town, <laughs> there were only two teams that played each other every week, right? It's kind of a long story, but it's worth it. He says, now on the other team, there was a girl that I'll call Tracy. Tracy came each week. I knew since my son's team always played her team. She was not very good. She wore Coke bottle glasses and had hearing aids in each ear. She ran in a loping, carefree way with one leg pulling after the other with one arm windmilling wildly in the air as she ran. Everyone in the bleachers cheered for her every week regardless of what team their kid played on. In all the games that I saw, she never hit the ball, not even close. It just sat there on the tee. And that, that's really hard not to be able to do. Anyway. Sometimes after 10 or 11 swings, Tracy hit the tee, the ball would fall off the tee and sit on the ground six inches from home plate. Run, Tracy, run, yelled to Tracy's coach, and Tracy would lope off to first, clutching the bat in both arms, smiling. Somebody usually woke up and ran her down and took the bat from her and found the ball, and everyone always applauded her. The last game of the season, Tracy came up and through some fluke or simply uh, a nod to the law of averages, <laughs> it says, she creamed the ball. She smoked it right up the middle between the legs of 17 players. Kids dodged as it went by, looking absentmindedly as it rolled unstopped, seemingly un, uh, gaining speed, hopping over second base and heading into center field. Once it reached there, there was no one to stop it. Have I told you there are no outfielders in T-ball? So there, for the first three minutes at the beginning of every inning, or they're there for the first three minutes of every inning, but then they move into the infield to be closer to the action, or at least closer to their friends. Tracy hit the ball and stood at home, delighted, just watching it. Run, yelled the coach. Run, run, yelled all of the parents. All of us stood up and screamed, run, Tracy, run. Tracy turned and smiled at us, happy to please, galloped off to first. Now, of course, remember, she's never been past first base before, right? So the first base coach waved his arms around as Tracy stopped at first. Keep going, Tracy, keep running, go, go. Happy to please, she headed up to second, and by the time she was halfway to second, seven members of the opposition had reached the ball and were passing it amongst themselves, trying to figure out what to do with it. It is a rule in T-ball that every one of the defending team has to touch every ball. So the ball began to make its long and secured route towards home plate, passing from one person, uh, from one side of the field to the other. Tracy headed to third base. The adults were yelling from the bleachers, go, Tracy, go. Her coach stood at home plate, calling her home as the ball passed over the, the third baseman's head and landed in the, uh, the first baseman's head and landed in the fielding team's empty dugout. Tracy, run, get a home run. Everyone was screening. Tracy started for home, and then it happened. During the pandemonium, no one had noticed, a 12-year-old mutt that had been sleeping in front of the bleachers five feet from the third baseline. As Tracy rounded third, the dog, awakened by all the noise, sat up and wagged its tail at Tracy as she headed down the line. The tongue hanging out, the mouth pulled back in an unmistakable canine smile, and Tracy stopped right there, halfway home, 30 feet from a legitimate home run. She looked at the dog. She looked at home plate. 
She looked at the crowd. The crowd screamed, go, Tracy, go, go home, get a home run. She looked at the adults and her own parents shrieking while catching it all on video. She looked at the dog. The dog wagged its tail. She looked at the coach. She looked at home plate. She looked back at the dog. And then everything went into slow motion. She went for the dog. It was a moment of complete and stunned silence in the bleachers. (laughs) Then... Perhaps not as loud at first, but deeper, longer, and more heartfelt, the entire bleachers exploded into applause as Tracy fell to her knees to hug the dog. And then the writer says, two roads diverged on the third baseline. Tracy went for the dog. See, six days a week, we go for the home run. Six days a week, we swing for the fences as hard as we can. Six days a week, we try to run up the score. But six days a week, we produce while the noisy world around us screams, run, run, run. But on the seventh day, God tells us, go for the dog. So as we complete this 60-60 experiment, And actually, I'm continuing on with mine through September. There's a very specific thing I'm praying about. It hasn't finished praying through it yet, so I'm continuing on through September. But as we finish this corporately, I want to just ask us if we can graduate to a weekly rhythm that is transformative individually, that will make our young church sustainable corporately, and that God has been telling us to do repeatedly. Can we make a commitment this morning to Sabbathing? Let's pray together as the band comes. So God, on this day, uh, this weekend, when we uh, celebrate labor, when we celebrate the idea that people need a sustainable life, Help us to remember that you gave us direction long, long, long ago about this. That there is something wired in not just to us, but to creation and even to you, God, yourself. That says, create a rhythm. Thank you for the reminders of that in our heartbeats. Thank you for the reminders of that when we sleep and when we eat and when we wake. Thank you for the reminders of that every moment as we breathe in and breathe out. Help us to take just one step towards that sustainable rhythm of life by making a commitment to Sabbath together. Because of who you are, and because we want to be like you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Let's stand up as we sing together.